Welcome to Respect Life Radio. My name is Deacon Jeff Bennett with Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com. Today, our guest is Eric Sammons. He is the editor-in-chief of Crisis Magazine, the author of Deadly Indifference, which examines the rise of religious indifference and how it has led to the church, have led the church to lose her missionary zeal. And I know you do a bunch of weekly articles, too, that, man, you couldn't have been more appropriate. I don't know if you had inside information or not, but uh, Eric, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me on. I, I really appreciate it. Yeah, I know I reached out to you because a couple of weeks ago you wrote, you know, is the Catholic Church a house of cards? in terms of, you know, can it take criticism? Are you allowed to criticize it? That kind of thing. And then the next thing you know, you have traditionist custodus, you know, serpents over fish and talking about Pope Francis's bomb of a letter to uh, try to restrict or eliminate the traditional Latin mass. Yeah, it really was uh, not planned like that, but uh, we've had enough things where uh, just to say we're disappointed. Let's just say there's been many opportunities to be disappointed in church leadership over the last, you know, especially the last two decades. <laughs> yeah, I mean, whether it's, uh, you know, the priest scandal um, and then you have, you know, even Pope Francis, he's been throwing bombs for a while in terms of, you know, criticizing uh, priests that that uh you know wear cassocks um talking about rigidity while saying nothing about what's going on in germany what happened with the south south american synod pachamama i mean all this crazy stuff goes on father martin gets a letter of uh i don't know what it was you know a letter of uh endorsement for his wacko teachings and then all of a sudden you come down on traditional latin mass doesn't make any sense to me yeah, I I tend to have an attitude of I take people at their word. I take people at their action. I don't try to interpret some type of other meaning to it. And when it comes to the actions and words of Pope Francis, it's clear, and a lot of church leaders, it's clear what their priority is and what they really think. They, I mean, I don't know how you can interpret other than he really believes traditional Catholics are a serious, serious problem in the Catholic Church, and he really believes people like Saint Father James Martin are a good thing for the Church. And, I mean, why that is, we can't read his mind, we can't judge that, but that's just the reality because his actions are, are speaking very loudly of what his priorities are, and so that becomes—then uh, it's a matter of how do we respond to that, I guess. Well, and I used to be an energy trader for many years, and the you know the saying was the trend is your friend, and the trend in terms of his his speech, his actions, really are um, surprising because you would think every saint would be on board with the traditional Latin Mass and the beauty of it, and he's basically just you know going out to the peripheries and looking to drag people into the dinner who really don't even want to be part of what the church teaches. Yeah, it's an interesting aspect of, you know, I've been working with evangelization for 20, 20 plus years now. And one thing I've learned over time is that you really do have to take our Lord's word for it when he says, shake the, the, the dust off your sandals. Some people just don't want to be uh, Catholic and they're not ready for it. The Holy Spirit may speak to them uh, in, in such a way later that that happens, but 
you can't drag people kicking and screaming. And yet we have a whole group of people who want nothing more than to be part of the heart of the Catholic Church. And they're being shown the door, at least saying, here, go hide in the closet. We don't want to hear or see from you. And it's just really, it's dismaying more than anything else that that you would have that. But I really do think it tells us that the, the views of of Pope Francis and others, how they think the church should be, is really contrary to how a lot of uh, lay Catholics, faithful Catholics perceive it. I mean, because obviously there's a conflict here. We, we think Father James Martin should not be promoted. In fact, he should be censored. We think that uh, something like traditional Latin Mass should be uh, promoted and seen as a good thing in the church. And yet, you know, he's doing the opposite. So I really think it's a matter of us just continuing to live our faith and trying to live it in a way that we know is true. And But that does come up with the problem because immediately you get the, the people saying, well, the way to be Catholic is you have to follow the Pope. And there's truth in that, obviously. I mean, we're, we're, we're in communion with, with uh, the successor of St. Peter, the Bishop of Rome, the, the, the Pope. But what does it mean to be in communion? I think that's where we're really having a lot of, uh, of our crisis and our controversy today comes from trying to interpret how can I be a good lay Catholic, be in communion with the Pope, because we know that's, that's essential to being Catholic, yet at the same time be willing to say, you know, Your Holiness, that we think that's wrong. We think what you're doing is wrong. We think it's actually harming the church and, and, and it's actually going against what we think is what's best for the church. And we, we are able, we are allowed to say that as Catholics. We're not cult members. <laughs> we're, we're, we're Catholics. And if you look throughout history, there have been plenty of times where saints and, and other lay people and theologians have criticized uh, church leaders, including and all, all the way up to the Pope. Well, I mean, you, all you have, I mean, think of St. Catherine of Siena. She basically had to grab the Pope by the scruff of the neck and drag him back to Rome and get him out of France. Right. And one of the things we see when we look at, like, especially medieval times, the Pope often used his his power for political ends. And often other Catholic political leaders would oppose that because they felt, you know, they had different political goals. And if you look back at that, you say, yeah, the Pope had no you know, authority, political authority above and beyond what maybe some medieval king of France or wherever had. And it's very similar today because it just seems, again, taking the plain reading and plain interpretation of what the Pope says and does, he has a lot of political motives behind what he does in the sense of promoting things like uh, against climate change or, or whatever the case may be. And so I think that's another case from history where it's, it's okay to oppose the political agenda of a, of a pontiff. Now, the traditional Latin mass uh, suppression isn't exactly the same, but I do think a lot of that's political reasons as well, because I think there's a lot of the, the periphery issues, pardon the, the use of the term here, uh, periphery <laughs> issues of, of, of the Pope and the Latin mass people often don't intersect. Latin mass people are typically more conservative politically, uh, they're more focused on issues like abortion, uh, whereas the Pope uh, appears at least to be much more liberal politically. And uh, pr- again, things like climate change seem to be more important to him. So those issues are issues we can disagree with anybody. They're, they're issues of prudence on how much we emphasize uh, different political issues and, and what we, we attach ourselves to. So I think that's another case where we're completely free as Catholics to, to um, disagree with the Pope on issues like that.
Well, yeah, we're not talking, you know, the tough moral issues, you know, marriages between a man and a woman were created male, female, uh, you know, contraception is an intrinsic evil. You know, we're talking about like what you're talking about. It, it, and it really does feel like, you know, the church is is morphing into the political fights that we're seeing every day in the news and not staying above them and just saying, look, it's about getting souls to heaven. And that doesn't seem to be the agenda. That, in fact, that's the main uh, point of my book, Deadly Indifference, is yep. that the, the mission of the church is to save souls. And that every single thing the church does from the, the Vatican to the lowliest parish to the lowliest lay person in the pews has to be directed towards the salvation of souls. And that does include things that might not be primarily about salvation, like, for example, helping the poor. We do that, uh, of course, but that's even that's directed towards the salvation of souls in the sense that we're saving our own souls and we're giving them the, you know, we're helping them in charity and being a witness to uh, the love of Jesus Christ, which will hopefully bring them to, to Catholicism as well if they're not already Catholic. And so we do these things always with the purpose of salvation of souls. And if there's one thing I can tell you as a, as a person who's gone to traditional Latin Mass for over 10 years now regularly, I will tell you that the salvation of souls is foremost on the minds of every priest I've ever met who, who celebrates the, the, the traditional Latin Mass. It's very much on, on the, the, the forefront of the lay people who go there. And so how, how this somehow, this motu proprio would work against, you know, work for the salvation of souls, I really can't see. Now, I know the Pope expressed concern that people who go uh, to the Latin Mass would be, uh, uh, don't support Vatican II. They think it's invalid, whatever the case may be. I will say this. I'd be willing to bet a lot of money that if you went line by line through all the documents of Vatican II, you will find that your average traditional Latin Mass goer agrees with more than your typical uh, ordinary form Novus Ordo uh, uh, Catholic go, does because all, you know, Latin, uh, things like Latin should be primary in the liturgies in Vatican II, uh, the Pope being the vicar of Christ, uh, abortion being a uh, 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 abomination, all these things are in Vatican II. And I'd be willing to bet that they'd actually, uh, the church Latin mass support uh, attender actually supports more of Vatican II than your average um, Novus Ordo going uh, Catholic does these days. So when we're looking at focus, what we should be focused on that seems to be where the focus I would think should be on is the, the, the lack of catechesis, the lack of belief among many people who go go to use your regular uh, ordinary form parish. Well, and I think to your point, I would bet more people that go to the traditional Latin mass have actually read the documents of Vatican II <laughs> yeah. than, than the people that go to the Novus Ordo mass and not, not a slight to them, but you would think they would want to know it. So it's not that they're trying to distance themselves from it. I, I don't see that at all, but somehow he's come to that conclusion. Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's, it's, it's unfair, honestly, and it's unjust and it's not fatherly is the best way I can put it. If, if my son, he starts to think, he starts to say, I hear him say some things or whatever, and I don't agree with him. And I think, Hey, what's wrong here? I don't just all of a sudden give him a punishment. Instead, I, I ask him, say, well, what do you mean by that? Well, what were you trying to say by that? Mm -hmm. And if you look at his motu proprio, he mentions that 
in the letter with it, I think it was in the letter accompanying it, he, the Pope mentions that, you know, he surveyed the bishops and they, they were telling him these concerns. But, you know, he never talked to people who actually go to traditional Latin Mass. He never had his people actually interact with the priests of maybe the fraternity of St. Peter or anybody like that to say, okay, what is it that you guys actually think? What is it? I mean, there's a lot of Strom in there. And I think if you, that, that's the thing that struck me the most is the, the, the way he often talks about traditional Latin mass goers does not at all uh, match up with my experience of actually talking and, and interacting with uh, fellow members of my parish and other parishes I've been to and just even online. It just doesn't match up. It, it seems to be a caricature that, that's very unfair and, and not very fatherly is, is probably the best way to put it. Well, and I go to the Novus Ordo Mass primarily, and I know a lot of people who go to the traditional Latin Mass. and. They're normal people who love the Lord, who want to draw as close to them as possible. I don't, I, they don't come off as, you know, we're trying to create schism. We're trying to do all these things. It's trying to grow in their faith and grow in holiness. And, and we're punishing that when you got Germany going off the rails, right? No support for the, for the church in China. You're bringing Jeffrey Sachs in every other day of the week to come speak to Vatican officials, who is a proponent of, you know, everything against the church from abortion to climate, you know, he's big into climate control. It really, there is no unifying message from the Pope. It's really, uh, this is my group, and I don't like your group. That, that's basically what's being said. And even if you wanted to grant that there are some voices in the traditional Catholic movement that are problematic, let's just grant that. Okay, so what do you do? I would think at that point, the bishop who is in charge of that person would uh, reach out to that person, make sure, clarify, make sure, see if there's any problem. If there is a problem, then you would take disciplinary actions, you know, up to and including uh, denying them communion, the sacraments, excommunication, and you take care of that person who's the problem. Just like we're saying you do with a Father James Martin, you do yeah. that if you think there's a figure, you do that because inst- what you're doing instead with this action is, you're taking like your, your local, you know, your stay at home homeschooling mom of seven who just simply goes to Latin mass because she finds sanity there. It's, it, it helps her soul. It helps her kids grow in holiness. You're punishing her. You know, now she you know, potentially can't go if her, her, her Latin mass gets restricted because it's not like, you know, this homeschooling mom of seven can, can go necessarily to the the uh, eight o'clock p.m. mass two hours away or something like that. You're punishing, you know, the, the, the factory worker who just uh, you know, just he likes this mass and this is what helps him uh, become uh, closer to Christ. And I, these are people I've actually met. I mean, I'm making hypotheticals, but yeah. I know people like these things. These yeah. are the people you're punishing. They're not even online. They're not talking about that. They don't care about church politics. They don't care about that. They're just like, I just this helps me grow in holiness. Why would you take that away? And and again, we're talking about something that was part of the church for hundreds and hundreds of years. So we're not talking about some new, like if you said that about, let's say somebody started up a new group and they were saying, oh yeah, just follow me and you'll, you, you'll get better. And you know, okay, there's reasons to be concerned about that, but we're talking about something that was proven over time to be helpful for people to grow in holiness and that the church has always endorsed. And so to act like this is somehow a, a bad thing, you know, because you think there's a few people who, who might be, uh, problems just seems to be punishing the wrong people. It's just, it, it's a wrong way to approach it. You go after the people you think are a problem and you, and you, and you 
try to work with them directly, not not punish every single person that that, that just likes the Latin mass. Yeah, let's throw the baby out with the bathwater and just do sweeping statements and, you know, convict everybody because of a few. And look, no matter what movement you have, you're going to have a couple knuckleheads that, right. that go above <laughs> and beyond and cause problems. I mean, that's 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 the world in which we live. And I think, you know, in terms of your article, uh, you know, is the Catholic Church a house of cards? I think, you know, criticism is good, right? Criticism for all of us or critique of what we're doing is good. It should make us look at ourselves more objectively and see where we can grow or what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? So to criticize the church with what's going on, all you have to do is listen to Cardinal Burke, Cardinal Mueller, Cardinal Lorenze, Cardinal Sarah, right? They're coming out and speaking against this. So we should too, if we feel there's a wrong being done, right? That's right. And and I think a lot of Catholics just have a, a, a misunderstanding, a poorly formed way of looking at the church, like what it really is. And so they, they think it's something that can never be criticized because like, here's a good example. So I have some criticisms of Vatican II documents. Now, if I say that in some context, some people, some Catholics will say, oh, how can you do that? The Holy Spirit led the council. And are you criticizing the Holy Spirit? Like, no, that's not what I'm saying, because you have to understand the role of the Holy Spirit in things like council documents. I use the example that let's say a council document said there are more than two persons in the Holy Trinity. That is, an, that is a true statement. That is not false. And so the Holy Spirit would, could protect that from being an error, because that's what he does. He protects things from being error. That's not an erroneous statement. So that could be in a council document. But there's a lot of room to criticize that because it's ambiguous enough that somebody could believe there's four or 10 persons in the Holy Trinity, which of course is false. Now the statement itself never said that, but, and so it's without error, but it's worded poorly. And so those are the type of criticisms that I think all, everything we do in the church uh, is open to those type of criticisms. We're not saying that the, that Vatican II, for example, is invalid. We're simply saying, you know, maybe some of the ways that it's worded has led to some bad interpretations that has led to problems in the church. And, and we know there's these problems in the church. So, but instead we get this kind of cult-like response, like, oh, you reject Vatican II, you hate Vatican II, you're, you're rejecting the Holy Spirit's work. And it's the same thing with a Pope. If a Pope says something poorly or, or makes a disciplinary measure that, that isn't very good, there's nothing in our faith that says that, that goes against, that, that goes against the faith. Not, there's no Catholic teaching that says that that's, that that's not possible that that could happen. So we're, we can criticize. And I think every organization that's self-critical is the healthiest organization because yeah. that way they can always be striving for doing things the best possible way. If you're not self-critical, then what happens is you can just get very lazy or prideful and you don't always uh, make yourself the best. So like for me, in my own things I write or my work, or whatever, I'm always very self-critical because I'm like, okay, how could I do this better? How could I word this better? Whatever the case may be. It's the same thing with the church. And so it's actually a good thing in my mind to be critical. Now, you know, obviously we don't live our whole faith being critical of the church. That's not what I'm saying. There's, you know, so much beauty and goodness and, and greatness of being Catholic. It, it, you could go on forever. But in order to let others see that beauty and goodness, we have to be critical of the ways that we, we hide it or the ways that we keep it from uh, the average person. Well, and you know, the book you wrote, Deadly Indifference, I think, you know, we've seen stuff watered down so much that it, everything everything's gray. I mean, right, we're now seeing, uh, you know, people really questioning, when are the bishops going to stand up and tell people who 
are supporters of abortion, these politicians, that they can't receive communion. I just read today that the bishop in Las Cruces just told uh, one of their uh, one of the uh, politicians down there he can't receive communion. So he's applying, he's petitioning to the Pope to have this overturned. But that's the kind of environment this church has created when it's afraid to tell the truth and waters it down so much that the truth can become whatever anybody wants. Yeah, the, the problem is, is that a lot of people in church have imbibed modern cultural Western presumptions, presumptions um, that that really aren't Catholic. And one of those is, for example, that we can only you can never uh, condemn somebody's actions. You can never judge their actions. You can never say things are wrong because somehow that will turn people away or it's, it's judgmental. It's terrible, whatever. But that's never historically been how Catholics have looked at it. The, one of the roles of the bishop is to protect the faith, to guard the deposit of faith, to make sure that, that people know exactly what the, the Catholic Church teaches. And so when a bishop has, let's say, a, a very pro-abortion politician in his diocese, and he does nothing about it except for maybe a few letters or words, but he does nothing about it, then what that is teaching, what that's telling people— well, I guess abortion isn't actually that big a deal to Catholics. Uh, it must be okay to be pro-abortion. And so they're teaching by their inaction uh, something that is obviously untrue and, and heretical and erroneous. Now, they're not necessarily doing it on purpose, but it's because they've imbibed that modern assumption that you can never condemn, that that's always a wrong thing to do. But we are supposed to condemn error. I mean, look at the life of Jesus Christ. I mean, I, I always feel like people act like Jesus was this tolerant hippie who just said nice things. <laughs> read the Gospels. My goodness, read the Gospels again and again. He is not, he is not the person you think he is. I mean, he, the way he talks, he's very direct. He, he rarely gives compliments to anybody. I mean, he, he gave a compliment to John the Baptist and maybe one or two other people. That's it. Right. And he, he, he says things like to Peter, get behind me, Satan. He, he talks even worse, of course, to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leaders of his time. And so he does all these things. And so we're supposed to model our lives after Jesus, which means part of being loving has to include these, these things, these, these harsh statements at times, if they're appropriate, because if they're appropriate for Jesus, they're appropriate for, for us as well. They can be. Well, and it's to will the good of the other, right? This isn't a popularity contest to see how many friends we can have at the end of our days here. It's about leading people through this difficult world for their own salvation and our salvation. And when we start playing, you know, patty fingers with what's going on, then we're as culpable as they are for their, you know, traveling down the wrong road. An essential step of, of good evangelization that I think we almost never do is actually making the other person uncomfortable. And the reason I say that is because if you're comfortable in your life, why would you ever change it? So if you're an atheist and you're completely comfortable in it because you're, you're refusing to kind of see the reality of, of your worldview and we don't say anything to make the person uncomfortable, guess what? They're always going to remain an atheist. But instead, if we tell them, you know, that there's certain things like, for example, that they're, they're harming themselves and others by their lifestyle, things like that. And in, in, in the way that, that basically their beliefs harm people and things like that, we make them uncomfortable. In other words, then some will reject that. Some will get upset, but what will happen is people with an open heart, open the Holy spirit will say, Oh, I do need to change my life. It's like the old saying that you can't preach the good news unless you tell first the person, the bad news. And the bad news is that they're a sinner 
that they're destined for hell. And this is all of us if, if we don't repent and do something about it. And so we're all destined for hell. That's the bad news. And there's pain and suffering and terrible things in this world that we're, we've partly caused by our own sins. And all those things, that's the bad news. But there's good news in Jesus Christ. But if you don't think that you're a sinner destined for hell, you're not going to repent. You're not going to want to change your lifestyle. You're not going to give your life to Jesus Christ in the Catholic Church. So I really feel like that's one, one of the missing ingredients of evangelization today is we don't make people at times uncomfortable. And that includes a bishop, for example, telling a Nancy Pelosi or a Joe Biden, you can't receive communion. Yeah, will the person be upset and be uncomfortable? Yes, they will. But that can be a very good thing that because that hopefully would lead them to repentance. Well, can you imagine at the end of our days on this earth and we go to our judgment and the Lord said, why didn't you uphold the dignity of the Eucharist? Why were you letting people receive me unworthily? And we say, you know, Lord, it was really uncomfortable. And people right. weren't going to like us, and they were going to write things in Crisis Magazine about me. And so <laughs> I, I I just didn't do it. I was going to get a pat on the back for that. Yeah, I mean, what, what's sad is, is that the sacrifices we're asking to make today are a joke compared to the sacrifices our, our predecessors in the faith have done to bring the faith to us. Remember, the only reason we're Catholic today is because of the martyrs sacrificing their lives, of the great missionaries going to the ends of the world to preach the gospel and suffering untold uh, sacrifices on our behalf. And so now we're given the task. Now we have to pass on to the next generation. We have to make sure the faith continues. But we're like, well, my neighbor might not invite me over to the party on Saturday night if I say something to him about the Catholic faith, because that's essentially the level. Now, I'm, I'm worried, I'm concerned that due to our lack of, of conviction and talking about that those persecutions will get greater and greater and yeah. they're going to get worse and worse. But at this point, we're still at the, at the, at the, probably the worst case scenario is we lose our job, which I'm not saying isn't a hardship, but it's nothing compared to what St. Isaac Jogues went through or the martyrs of the early church went through. So, you know, at this point, this is when we can still speak out, most of us, in, in a way that we're going to have very limited uh, suffering entailed with it, but it's going to just keep increasing. And so we really need to start now of being willing to accept that that rejection by the world if that's what the case may be. I mean, if all we have to do is look at our master, I mean, he was rejected by the world, he's hung on the cross. And if we aren't willing to, to follow him there, then we're not we're not his worthy disciples. Uh, we're almost done. How can people get your book? How can people follow what you're doing, Eric? Okay, the best way is to go to crisismagazine.com to just, uh, I'm the editor there, so you see a lot of my article, all my main er articles are there. I'm on Twitter, Eric R. Salmons. If you want a little spicier take, you can probably go there. Uh, and then Deadly Indifference, you can get it, hopefully, at most Catholic bookstores. You can go to sophiainstitute.com and, and buy it there. Respect Life Radio is produced by Catholic Charities in the Archdiocese of Denver. And remember, you can listen to all of our shows at respectliferadio.com.